The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 12 and talk a little bit about prayer. Uh, And then as it moves into uh, the story of what happened in response to prayer and finally the boom, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So power and purity is the title of the message. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Father, that you have given your Son, Jesus. You've sent him from heaven to the earth. And Lord, thank you for the incarnation that Jesus was born into humanity and the fullness of it from being conceived and born and growing uh, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. And then being a carpenter, learning a trade from his father until he was 30 years of age. And then putting away his tools and stepping out into the ministry of the Messiah, the salvation, the Savior of the world. Oh, how you changed the world in those three, three and a half years. And Lord, then you ascended up into heaven, and now you sent your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon all the church and all the believers. So I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would open our spiritual eyes, that we would hear the heart of the Lord, that we would hear the Spirit speaking to us. And Lord, that you would take your word, make it come alive. Let it be living manna that nourishes and strengthens our spiritual lives. May we receive your promises. And we pray for a fresh baptism of the presence, the power, the purity, and the fire of the Holy Spirit upon all those who are watching and listening. And we thank you, Father. We give you this time into your hands, and it's in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, beginning, we're going to go back uh, to where we looked a little bit last week in verses 12 through 14 as we lay the foundation. Talk about prayer. Talk about waiting on the Lord. And I want to just say that it is time for the church to pray now as we have never prayed before. We pray now out of a need. We pray out of the times which we're living in. We pray out of desperation. We pray out of hunger and out of thirst for the moving of God's Spirit upon this generation. So I want to begin this. Pray literally about everything. So Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. So this is right after the ascension of Jesus. He has told them to wait for the promise of the Father and the Holy Spirit would be poured out. So I like verse 12, they're being obedient. So they returned and they went to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. 
Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So I like what it says here in verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And of course, with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, we mentioned how this is the last time that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned in the scriptures in the New Testament, and also with his brothers. Uh, I, I love that his brothers, apparently, he had half-brothers, you know, uh, and one of them's name was Jacob, which, when you put it into English, is James. And he's actually the writer of the book of James in the New Testament, right near the book of Hebrews. But his brothers did not believe in him while he was ministering, which is sad. You think about once... You know, he had risen from the dead and demonstrated his power over death by the resurrection and now, and appeared to them. And so now James, his brother is a believer, but he missed all that had happened during those three and a half years, the miracles, uh, the, the supernatural explosion, the Messiah on the earth. But he became a believer. So his Hebrew name would have been Jacob. Uh, his Anglicized name is James, but he wrote the book of James. He became a believer. And then he had another brother whose name was Jude. Judah means praise. So Jesus had a brother named Jude. And Jude also became a believer after the resurrection of Jesus and then wrote a very short little letter that's right before the book of Revelation. So it's interesting that we have Mary, his mother. We, we have his brothers, uh, we, we have those from the family of Jesus, we have the disciples, and they gather together in one accord in prayer. Jesus ascended to heaven on the 40th day after the resurrection. And now they're basically the next 10 days going to be there as Jewish people from all over the world will be coming, traveling, gathering in caravans, and with groups of people landing in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost which is only 10 days away. So that's where Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after first fruits, the Feast of First Fruits. Jesus had risen from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. He is the first to rise from the dead. And now, 40 days, Jesus has appeared to the disciples. And now they've got 10 days until Pentecost. So they're praying during these 10 days. And I just want to note, as we're going through the book of Acts, prayer played a significant role in the story of the early church. And everything that we're going to read, all of the miracles, the stories, the explosion that now goes from Jerusalem throughout Judea, then into Samaria, spills over the borders of Israel and begins going all throughout the Roman Empire. Prayer plays a powerful, significant role in everything that happens. They prayed about everything. They prayed for guidance in making decisions because they needed wisdom. They needed direction from God. They also were in a time of great persecution. 
What had begun with Jesus would now continue with the apostles and the prophets and the early churches. They were under a time of great persecution. So they needed courage to not be afraid and to not hide and to be able to come out and be bold and to share their story, their witness that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. And it was prayer that gave them boldness to live in the times in which they lived. How many of you would agree we are living in some strange times? We too are living in times of chaos and crisis and rising persecution against the church and against believers, and we need boldness. Therefore, we need to pray. I have this scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we can read it together. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which means their teaching, and in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They prayed continuously, every meeting they had was basically, you could call it a prayer meeting. Whether there was teaching, whether there was preaching, whether there was prophesying, whether there was prayer for people and healings, miracles, but always there was in the middle of it prayer. Stephen, we're going to find the story of Stephen in the early beginnings of the church, is, gives this tremendous witness that Jesus is alive and that he is risen. And they begin to stone him. And, and there Stephen is, praying for his persecutors. Lord, lay not this sin against their charge. He's praying and he looks up and he sees Jesus in heaven, ready to receive him. Peter and John, uh, who were Jewish, and in those days there was pride and prejudice between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Jesus had gone to Samaria to reach out and across that racial barrier, and, and there was a woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus ministered to her, reached out to her. Her life was changed. She believed in Jesus, ran back to her town and village and said, come meet the man that knows everything about my life. Well, now Peter and John follow Jesus' example and they go into Samaria and they begin praying, loving, witnessing, and ministering to the Samaritans. But it was through prayer that God began to bring the revival that Jesus had started now continues with the book of Acts. And then Paul uh, praying. While he was converted, he's on his way to this man's house. He is led into Damascus, and that man is praying as God gives him direction. There's a man coming to you, Saul of Tarsus, but I have called him, chosen him, and you are to pray for him. It happened through prayer. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a Roman. He was a soldier in the Roman military, and he was praying to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had been stationed in Israel as a Roman centurion. He had heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He no doubt heard the stories of the nation and, and God's provision and his miraculous leading them out of Egypt, the miracles, and now had heard of Jesus, didn't know how to put it all together, and was praying about salvation. And while Peter is on a rooftop meditating and praying, God speaks to Peter. 
and says there is a man coming and you're to lead him to salvation, even though he is a Gentile. So the church fasted and they prayed. And while they were praying and fasting, the Lord said, I want to send Barnabas and Paul throughout the Roman world to start churches, plant churches, and bring the ministry of the gospel to the whole world. It was also at a prayer meeting. There were some Jewish people, less probably than 10, gathered at a river in Philippi and who had gathered to pray. There was only a handful of believers that was in the area of Philippi. And while they were in prayer, Paul lands and brings the word of the Lord and the word of salvation. And a woman named Lydia becomes a believer and God begins to turn Philippi inside out and upside down. And then for Paul and Silas in another prayer meeting that took place in prison, while they're praying and while they're singing at the top of their lungs, God delivers them and opens the prison doors. So what I want you to realize, we're in Acts chapter 1, we're going to move into the first few verses of Acts chapter 2. But almost every chapter of the book of Acts, which is the foundation and the history of the church, in almost every chapter we find prayer. We find that they were, you know, humbling themselves. They were calling out unto the Lord, crying out to heaven for God's divine presence and intervention. So I want to just add to what Jared was saying about our prayer meeting on Tuesday. I would love to invite any of you and all of you that can come meet us outside under the open air with the sunshine and the fresh breezes that come from the ocean, the Pacific here in San Diego, to gather in the name of Jesus to pray and to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. And also I want to encourage you to go to our website. And on the front page, scroll down to the bottom, you'll see Summer Harvest Call to Prayer. And I want to invite and challenge all of you to join me in praying. And as you go there, you can have uh, some prayer points that we'll send out to you every month so that we're all of one mind, one heart, one accord. We're praying the same things. And the Bible tells us in heaven that, that our prayers, God listens to them, but they are, they're like incense, and there are bowls that, are, that just fill and fill and fill, and finally in the God's great pleasure through our prayers and intercession and unity and being of one mind and one heart, he pours those bowls out and pours out the answer to those prayers in a mighty, explosive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So prayer, join us or prayer. We're, we need to pray through the rest of this year, 2020. Would you agree with that? And then become a people of prayer in preparation for the outpouring of God's Spirit, the baptism of His Spirit that He is sending upon this generation in this hour. Well, let's move on to the next uh, few verses here in chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, or verse 15, rather. And I want to just say, wait on the Lord for every decision. That's, that is the life lesson that we're going to learn from this interesting transition. Now, you know, from talking about prayer, we're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes. Uh, but there's a very interesting transitional story that is told. And this is the main point. We need to wait on the Lord 
for every decision that we make, especially in these times. It says in verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And he said, men, brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed out. That's probably more information than any of us really needed, but that's what happened to Judas, <laughs> who betrayed Jesus. And it became known to all, these, all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And in another place, it says, let another take his office. So, you know, they're praying. I, I don't know what day it was, you know, during this 10 days. They're all waiting. They're all praying. And it probably was not very long within a few days that they've got people that are coming in uh, by the thousands from all over the Holy Land and they're landing in Jerusalem. It's filling up because the whole nation is required to be there for the 50th day after uh, the resurrection, which is Pentecost. And as they are gathering together and while they're praying, I don't know if it was day five or six or seven, you know, Peter, they were told to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So they're praying and they're waiting for a while. But here again, my suggestion is that Peter, who's kind of one of the leaders really within the disciples, and he's always speaking out, uh, is very impetuous, and Peter kind of does what he always does. He goes, hey, <laughs> they're still waiting. It's not day 10. It's not Pentecost hasn't come. And Peter basically says, uh, hey, I, I got something I want to share with you guys. I, I've been reading the scriptures, and, and we know that there is something missing because Jesus chose 12 of us, and Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and then he went out and he hung himself, and then he fell, and uh, he, he kind of literally broke and fell apart in the field of blood, as Peter describes it. And there's actually scriptures that I've read in the Old Testament that talk to that, that he needs to be replaced. Jesus called 12. You know our story. You know our history. The 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus chose 12 of us, but one is now missing. So something is wrong. We need to replace him. And there's actually some scriptures. And so here Peter says, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Those are actually scriptures in the Old Testament that Peter puts them together and says, so now we need to replace Judas to make sure there are 12 of us that are ministering for the Lord. So it's kind of like, you know, Peter, I believe it would have been good for him to wait and continue praying 
and continue seeking the Lord, and which is all Jesus told them to do until the 10 days was over, until Pentecost had come, until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. But now Peter is saying we need to take matters into our own hands. And you know, there are times in our lives where we're wondering, and look, there are many people, whether it's what am I going to do for my job, for my future, or if you have a company, or now with school, we don't know if the school is going to be happening, or should we send them to this school or that school or homeschool or whatever. And we don't know, and we're waiting on the Lord, and God, we need your direction. And sometimes we don't wait long enough. We don't hear clear direction from him. And we decide to take matters into our own hands. When it doesn't seem like God is moving, we decide to start moving. And we feel pressure to take matters into our own hands. I'm very interested in following Peter and understanding, you know, how he looked at his life at this particular moment. Um, Pentecost has not yet come, but I, I want to say this as a good point for Peter. He knew the word. He was reading the scriptures. He was trying to apply them to the situation, uh, and he wanted to say, hey, the Holy Spirit has said this. And I think it's also important to realize that Peter ascribes to the Holy Spirit of God, the things that David wrote in the Psalms. So Peter had a great understanding that the word of God, though there were human instruments like pens writing, the actual author was the Holy Spirit. He believed in the divine inspiration of scriptures. And so he was, you know, he had that going for him, but I do believe he was impetuous and I do think that he should have waited. So now let's take a look and see what he actually did. And this is in verses 21 through 26. And the life lesson here is do not make the mistake of limiting God to our choices. Wait till you see this one. Beginning of verse 21, so the story, we, you know, we've, Judas took himself out and we have 11, there needs to be 12, um, you know, nothing has happened. We're still waiting for the 50th day. Therefore, here's some scriptures I've been reading. Therefore, we need to replace the one that is missing. Therefore, we need to have 12. And again, Peter holding forth says in verse 21, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So Peter, after giving some scriptures and giving the credit to the Holy Spirit, this is inspired by God, and let one take his office, which obviously was ultimately God's plan and purpose to have 12 and not just 11, but now Peter, it's, you know, it's not like we read here in verse 21, then Peter in prayer waited upon the Lord and the Lord spoke to him and said. We don't read that. What we read is Peter read the scriptures, then Peter thought about it, and then Peter made some decisions. 
And I wish that he would have waited. I wish he would have called on the Lord and, and sought direction and guidance from him. But I think that Peter, being impetuous, being himself, he's like, well, this is what I see and this is what I think we ought to do and let's move ahead. So there is, do not, let's learn from this, make the mistake of limiting God to our choices. So Peter says it should be somebody that's been with us the whole time. For going back all the way to John the Baptist and repenting then and getting baptized then and all the way through the three and a half years and then has been a witness of the resurrection. Verse 23, and they proposed to, again, nothing and the Lord said or the Lord directed or the Lord revealed, they're still in charge. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. So these seem like good guys. They are believers in Jesus as the Messiah. They apparently have gone with him and known the disciples. They weren't members of the 12, but they go all the way back to the days of John the Baptist and all through the ministry of Jesus and also are witnesses of his resurrection as Jesus had appeared to many for 40 days after his resurrection. So, you know, that's all good. And in verse 24, and they prayed and said, oh, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And (laughs) it doesn't say, and the Lord said, or the Lord spoke, or the Lord directed, and they basically cast their lots. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So um, the, the idea of apostles, the word apostle means one who is sent. Jesus called 12 disciples that he would then send out into the world to start the kingdom of God, to plant the church, both Jew and Gentile. So he sent them out. Twelve is the number of God's government. And we only have those 11. So now Paul the Apostle, uh, when, when I think about the Apostle Paul, when he is writing in the New Testament, later he writes this. Have not I seen the risen Christ? As you read, you know, after Acts you know, chapter one here, and we go through the whole story of the book of Acts, it's interesting that really, not only do we not hear of Matthias anymore, nor of Justice, these two that they said, hey, Lord, you get your pick, this guy or that guy, who do you want to pick? We never hear of either one of them again. And basically, the book of Acts begins to focus on two out of the 12 disciples. One is Peter, He plays a very key role in the beginning of the church and taking the gospel out, certainly beginning with the day of Pentecost, which we'll see. But then it transitions to another one, another apostle. And he is not one of the original guys who was with Jesus from John the Baptist all the way there. And his name is the apostle Paul. And Paul claims, I too am an apostle, have not I seen the risen Christ? Basically saying that his understanding, because he had a personal call when he saw Jesus 
on the road to Damascus who called him to be an apostle. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you needed to be back with John the Baptist or you needed to be with me during my three and a half years of earthly ministry. No, all you need to know is I, Jesus, whom you have been persecuting, my people, and you are persecuting me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth. Paul saw the resurrected, glorified, risen Lord. He said, I am like the apostle born out of due time. Meaning I wasn't like the other 11. I wasn't there at the beginning. But the Lord revealed himself to me and I have seen with my own eyes the resurrection, Jesus Christ, Messiah and Lord. So again, look at me in verses 23 and 24. Here's their solution. They proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they basically threw dice. They threw lots. And it landed on Matthias. They made, I believe, a mistake by giving God two choices. Lord, you have this guy and you have that guy. Which one is yours? And then they rolled dice. Now, I do want to say this uh, for the disciples. In the Old Testament, that actually was a way that God would reveal himself and he would reveal his will or he would reveal direction or intentions. There's this very unusual thing called the Urim and the Thummim in the Old Testament. It means lights and flashings. We don't, in the Hebrew, we don't know exactly what it was, but the high priest could have it and the king could go and ask a yes or no question. Should we go against the Philistines? Yes. Or should we not go against the Philistines? And the answer is no. Should we do this? Yes. Or should we do that? No. And the kings would come to the priests and then he, the, he would go to God and pray and intercede and then the Urim and the Thummim would somehow reveal the plan of God. And it was a yes, no thing. So there are those who have suggested, what is the Urim and the Thummim? What is, what is lights and flashings? That it was basically two stones, two dice, if you will. One was white and one was black. And the idea was that the priest would pray and they would seek God and then there would be some flash of lightning or whatever and he would reach in and pull out the stone and if it was white and flashing, that meant yes, go, I'm with you. Or if it was black, then it was no, this is not my will or it's not the time and I don't want to do that. So it was something that in the old covenant, in the old testament, it was a way that God had revealed himself in the past and to discern the will of the Lord. So I give that to Peter uh, and the others who kind of went along with it, that this is a way God has worked in the past. But I want to suggest to you that if they had waited just all the way until Pentecost, if they had waited as the Lord told them, he said, just go to Jerusalem. He didn't say, I want you to go anywhere or do anything. I don't even want you to witness until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. For when the Holy Spirit and his purity and his power and his fire comes upon you, you shall then receive power, dunamis, to be witnesses, martyrs, 
for my name's sake. And I believe if they had waited, God would have given wisdom. God would have given direction. So I think they made a mistake by limiting God's choices, taking matters into their own hands, not waiting on the Lord. Okay, God, you have either this or that. Now, let me ask you this. Has that ever happened in your life where you say, okay, Lord, I've, you know, with a job, a situation, a decision needs to be made. And we, in our wisdom, we go before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, uh, I'm going to give you two choices. Either this is the way that I'm going to go, but if that's not it, I'm going to go that way. And we, in our wisdom, come up with the two choices. We give our two best choices to God and say, okay, which one? And if one begins to fall apart or doesn't work out, okay, obviously you want me to go to the other way, and then we go the other one. And that's how many of us live our lives. What I want to suggest to you is we cannot afford to live that way. Uh, we cannot afford to limit the choices God has. With our best wisdom and understanding, we might say, Lord, all I can see is this way or that way. But God, who knows all things, may have a way, he may have an idea, he may have a direction that if we would wait until we have clear direction from him, he would say, actually, I don't want you to do this and I don't even want you to do that. I reject A and B. I reject choice one and choice two. I've got a whole new direction and a whole new way that you need to go. Now, one of the ways that I think we can confirm that this was not the right choice that they made is not only that we never hear of Matthias ever again, but that they never do this again. They never roll dice. They never do lots, which was allowed under the leading of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and covenant, but is never used again. It's never mentioned by Peter again. It's never mentioned by Paul again. It's never mentioned by any other book in the entire New Testament from Matthew to the book of Revelation. And I believe that it in fact was God's ultimate choice that is borne out as you go through the book of Acts, let alone other things that Paul writes in his letters that Paul was the choice that God had and that it was enough for Jesus, not that he had to be there for John the Baptist or during his three and a half years, but that he was a personal eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, whom he had persecuted, but now had seen was in fact Savior and Lord. So here's Peter helping God out, trying to determine the will of God. Uh, you know, from this point forward, it, they never do that again. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, he begins to speak to them. He begins to direct them. He begins to guide them. In fact, while they're in prayer, again, there it is, prayer, so key to the relationship of being guided and led by the Holy Spirit. While they were in prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to them directly and said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the ministry where I have called them. All right, now we're going into Acts chapter two. You ready for Pentecost? Here we go. Acts chapter two, verses one and two. It says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. All right, hold there for now. The roar and the fire of the Holy Spirit. 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And by the way, I want, let's talk about the feasts of the Lord, which we've learned to follow and they're a pattern for even us today to know the feasts of the Lord. Jesus was crucified on the feast of Passover. The second feast, he was buried on the feast of unleavened bread. On the third day is the third feast, which is the feast of first fruits. And that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And exactly 50 days later is the feast number four, which is on Pentecost. And it was on Pentecost. Look, there it is. When the day of Pentecost, exactly the 50th day after the resurrection, had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. So God, our God, is an on-time God. And I, I want to just say this, we've, you know, the feasts have been very significant this year in particular. Uh, when, you know, this last Passover, uh, you know, as we were getting ready to celebrate and remember Jesus was crucified on Passover and God told all the children of Israel, go into your homes this night, shut her in. Don't be walking around. Don't be outside. I'm going to send my angel who's going to pass over only the houses where he sees the blood. So anyway, it was like a living Passover. We're all in our homes for that good Friday. And then as we made our way, you know, to ultimately Pentecost, it was literally on Pentecost that we had our first Sunday gathering again. You know, it was like God opened up our capacity to have church. So God is an on-time God. So about the Feast of Pentecost, do you know what happened on the first Pentecost? That's the day that God gave the Ten Commandments. And for over 1,500 years, every year on the same day of their calendar annually, the Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and to remember the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law of God, where God came from heaven and let himself be seen visibly in the form of a cloud with thunder and lightning and flashes and voices and the giving of the Ten Commandments. So that's what they're remembering. 1,500 years ago, God manifest his presence with fire in a cloud and he came down and he gave his word on written on tablets of stone. In a way, on this Pentecost, now they've waited the additional 10 days plus the 40, it's exactly the 50th day. And the Holy Spirit is once again letting himself be seen. He is manifesting his presence. But this time, because the original Pentecost, the people didn't want to go up on the mountain. They said, Moses, you go talk to God. 
you go into that thick, dark cloud where there's thunder and lightning. It's too, God's too scary. We're going to stay down here. They saw God, but they didn't go and experience the presence of God. Only Moses did. So on this Pentecost, God is coming down again. He's letting himself be manifest, the manifest presence of God. But the difference is where the people did not experience or enter into his manifest presence then, this Pentecost they did. The Holy Spirit came not just on top of a mountain, but he literally came upon the disciples themselves. The cloud enveloped them. The fire of God came upon them. The holiness of God and his power and his presence, the roar and the fire of the Holy Spirit came upon them. I love this in verse two, it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. There was a mighty sound from heaven and the sound was God. It was not something within nature. The sound was like a rushing mighty wind. It was not a wind, but it was a sound like the deafening roar or the blast of a strong wind. Think hurricane, think tornado. And when you hear a tornado or you hear a hurricane so powerful and so fast, and they heard it. Now, why did God come in this way? Because the Jewish people needed to be startled. They needed to be alarmed. They needed to be awakened. And they needed to be attracted to gather together. So here's what I want to share with you. When the Holy Spirit came in that rushing mighty wind, it was not just the 120 that heard it. It was literally the city of Jerusalem. I believe that whole area around the Temple Mount, people that had come from all over the world, they heard the roar. They heard the sound. They didn't see anything, and it wasn't like wind blowing. It wasn't a real natural hurricane. It was the presence and the power, the supernatural glory of God. And all these people heard it. And that's why, because so many heard it, Peter realizes, I'm going to go out now and I'm going to start preaching because so many heard it, they want to know, what does that mean? What was that? They knew it was something supernatural. And Peter was able to stand up. And it says that in the house, it happened within the house. I don't believe it was just the upper room, but this word house literally can mean the temple of God. I believe that they, what they heard the sound of the roar of a rushing mighty wind like a hurricane or tornado was in the house around the temple of God, literally Solomon's porch. And everybody is looking, and then Peter stands up. Thousands of people heard it. Peter preaches, and 3,000 souls are saved. God is the one that gathered them. Peter opened his mouth, and with great power and boldness preaches, they're convicted to the heart and they become believers. I mean, that was an explosion. 3,000 believers that came into the presence of the Lord and became believers in Jesus Christ. Well, let's close with verses three and four, the purity and the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon them. In verse three, it says, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I love this, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them and just as there had been fire on Mount Sinai, now fire came upon them. And then as the fire came down, it separated and went to each one of their individual heads. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. They become like a living menorah, like a 120 branched menorah, 120 people. And you could see upon each one fire. And then they begin speaking in all of these languages through tongues, the wonderful works of God and giving God glory. That's what drew all the thousands together. And that's what prepared the way for Peter to be able to preach. It was both corporate, 120 at one time, and personal. They now knew that the Messiah who had left and gone up into heaven was in them and was upon them and would never leave them nor forsake them. It is the Spirit of God as breath blowing over the waters of creation in Genesis. It is the Spirit of God as breath breathing into the nostrils of Adam as he became the first created man. It is the Spirit of God as breath moving over the dry bones of Israel and resurrecting them to life again. Fire. Fire is about purification. The refiner's fire to make pure gold or burn away anything temporary, leaving only that which will last. Power Purity, and the Holy Spirit will empower us to be a light and to be a witness and to give him praise and glory. And I believe that God is beginning to stir and move throughout this generation. Right now, he is making a sound, gathering minds and hearts, and there are many people that are, everywhere they look is so discouraging and so depressing and so dark. People are actually starting to look up. God, are you there? Do you see what's happening to us? What's going to happen? Where are we going? And God is ready to pour out his spirit and the baptism of fire, of the Holy Spirit, of love, of his presence, salvation, and many will come into the kingdom of God, a glorious and great revival. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.